Okay, so this morning, uh, I'm going to share it. This is not what God was giving to me. And when I say that, uh, he was giving me the word this morning. So when I go to the word, I'm, I'm not going to the, to, to the word to try and get a great message to preach to people. I'm not, I, I don't do that. I, I go and I sit down and, and God counsels me personally. And he personally counseled me. And when he does that, he, he's, he's bringing me, he was bringing me back from childhood all the way up to the present. And all those questions, the whys that we have, you know, like why God, and he was dealing with that. And I, I want to, and I'm going to share on that on Friday. Uh, and we usually do the men, but even in that sense, Barbara, if you wanted to listen, and you could, even on, on Friday morning, because we do it at 8, that would be fine. Usually we do that for the men. But that's, that, that is a, just, just a counsel from God's Word that he gave to me. And of course, if he gives it to one of us, and we're all a part of the body of Christ, it's for all of us. But this is similar to it, and, and I posted, and what I posted this morning on, on Facebook was about the prodigal. And that's what I'm going to read this morning and just go into it a little bit. And this is Luke, the 15th chapter. And I'll start in verse 11. And it goes right down to verse 32. And I'm going to read that. Verse 11, it says this. And this is Christ speaking. Notice that this, this, is, this is our precious Savior. And he's speaking these things. And he was speaking this, these things to his disciples. And, and he was speaking to them, but to us as his church, as his body, his very body, flesh, and bones. He's speaking this to us this morning in such an intimate way. Because the thing that God desires, because he's made us to be his in his son, through what Christ has done in propitiation and substitution and reconciliation. And because he's given us the promise of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16, and 17. And the Holy Spirit is that power that takes those things that are ours in Christ and makes them real to us. The whole purpose for that, God's whole purpose is that he, he loves us so much he desires intimacy with us. And that's the thing that he desires. And so here, in Luke 15, verse 11, it says, A certain man, and this is our Savior sharing this, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that are mine, that are due to me based upon the inheritance of the father for the child, that fall to me, and he divided Unto them his living. Now, first and foremost, he had two sons. He's the younger one. So for us to understand this particular parable here, and a parable is from the Greek where we get paraboli, par parable. It's P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E, long E in the Greek. It's parable. And it's truth, but he takes something so we can understand and throws it alongside to give us an understanding. We have a much greater understanding than the disciples did in kingdom teaching. Because we are much more intimate in terms of our relationship in Christ. 
But so, in the in the process of doing it, doing it the way, it's the elder son that should get the inheritance first. And we're going to see how that affected the elder son, uh, a, a bunch of other things, and, and what happened, certain things and certain principles that they came to be revealed. But the father gave it to the younger one anyways. Because what God does, he does with incredible love and wisdom. Incredible love. And out of, out of his love comes incredible wisdom. He had two sons, and the younger said, let me have my portion. And he divided unto them his living. Whose living was it that he gave him? It was the father's, what the father had, a, had, a, had accomplished and was going to make his. So everything that he asked the father was based upon what the, what the father had done in terms of saving even. But he gave it to the younger one. Here's verse 13. Now, he hasn't left the house yet. He hasn't left the house. But he's already forming his plans to leave. He hasn't left yet, but it's a thought before it's a function. Just like we've said, even in the angelic conflict, before Satan fell in Ezekiel 28, verse 15, it says that Lucifer, the son of the morning, is what his name meant. Before he fell, he was perfect in all his ways. The perfect in all his ways meant that he lined up with obedience. His creator, Christ, in his pre-incarnate state, which is, was his teacher. Not only his creator, but his teacher. Matter of fact, even when you read in Isaiah 6 and verse 1, where they saw the Lord high and lifted up, that is Christ in his pre-incarnate state. Very interesting. So, but it says in verse 13 of Luke 15, not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. See, he hadn't left yet, but he was getting ready. And he took his journey into a far country. What was the far country? Distance from the father. Did the father create the distance? Does God create distance between us and himself? No, it was the free will that ceased to obey and submit, that allowed him to form his own plans. And even before he left the house, there was separation from the Father. Okay, And when we have our own thoughts based upon our own will, what does that create in us? Distance from God. This is what happened here. So not many days after, the son gathered all, and he took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. That's like a Christian. That's the picture. And we learn these things. That's like a, a Christian prior to salvation. Everything we did was in the world. Did it ever bring joy or happiness? Did it ever give us peace or contentment? Did it ever do any of that? Never did. Never did. We only have those things in the house the Father's presence. And that's why in Psalm 16, verse 11, there's joy. There's, uh, there's joy in his presence, isn't there? And that's where joy is found. And it's based upon peace. But here, he, he spent it all with riotous living. In other words, whatever his fleshly desires dictated to him, he just did. 
can't have enough sex, can't have enough drugs, can't have enough alcohol, can't have enough money, can't have enough of everything. Because when we, when we create the distance from God, and, 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 and since in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, where it says he said eternity in the heart of man, we said this recently uh, through the scriptures, that when God created man, he created him with a hole that only he can fill. And no matter what you put in that hole, it will not fulfill you and won't fulfill me. Now this was the fact of uh, there's born again Christians and they leave and they go into the world. And because God has to bring them like he had to bring the son here, the younger son, who thought he knew enough to be in control of his life without the father. He has to bring us like he does to us in every single area where we lack dependence. And when we lack dependence, it's, it's, it's because of rebellion, which is witchcraft and stubbornness, which is idolatry in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 23. So when that happens, this distance that's, that's created, and we try and put in that hole and fulfill these lusts. That's, a, that's what a Christian. It's unsaved, but can I as a Christian, when I don't have proper teaching, or when I do know it, don't submit to it, what am I going to do? Do I go forward? No, I'll tell you what we do. We go right back. We've, we've shared this verse in Proverbs 26, 11. The dog returns to the vomit, and a fool returns to his folly. A fool, as we know, in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2, especially verse 2, is one whose confidence is in himself and is only interested in expressing his need and his opinions. He is, he becomes his own world. A world that's in a far country that's separated from God. Remember what Cain did in Genesis 4 and verse 16? What did Cain do when he refused God's word, refused God's way? What did he do? He went out from the presence of God. You know, the whole world system, this is the far country. The whole world system is created, and watch what it's created on. The murder and hatred of God in, in type, the sacrificial lamb of God, his son. Because Abel brought a sacrificial animal, which in type was pointing to Christ coming. And we see that in the fourth chapter of Genesis. Then there was hatred. Who was the first human murderer in the Bible? It was Cain. But who was a murderer from the beginning in John 8, verse 44? The father of all lies, a murderer from the beginning because there was no truth in him. None. There's no truth for us in this world system. We'll never be satisfied. The nature of lust is it's insatiable. It'll never be satisfied. So Cain went out and he built a city. What was the whole city based on? The murder and rejection of God through the only one sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Because what that sacrifice did was it crucified everything about the old. It had nothing to do with us. Cain wasn't satisfied with that because obviously the enemy was daddying him. In John 8, verse 44, you have your father the devil. Now, he can't father us. Satan can't father us in our position in Christ. But how about our experience? Where'd the flesh come from? Where'd the fallen nature come from? So Cain went out and he built a city. You can have every religion you want, but you see, even the things that were meant for good, 
even his sons, music, everything. The enemy will use worldly music to get us to escape and, and get us to be comfortable, trying to make us comfortable outside of God's presence because he hates us because God loves us and he gave us his only son. This is what this is talking about, a far country. If you look at Genesis 4, 16, right to verse 22, you're going to see that crystal clear. You're going to see it. You're going to see it very crystal clear. Crystal clear. So he spent all his substance, and the substance that he had, where did he get that from? He got it from the Father. With riotous living, Verse 14, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Lack, he began to lack. You know, I love the Psalm 23. You know, and really what it says in the Hebrew, it states it very clearly. The Lord, my shepherd, I won't lack a thing. There's no lack. There's no lack. Plenty outside of him, none in him. The Lord is my, and as long as he shepherds me with, through my will being submitted, because he won't violate my free will like the enemy does, I won't lack a single thing. We need to learn, we need to learn to know where we're fed. We're fed in a particular house. For us today, it's the local assembly. That's where we're fed. And God has, God bases a local assembly for us based upon what he knows his counsel is going to meet in needs that we're not even aware of. We may think we know what those needs are. We may think so, but we're very ignorant of them, but he isn't. He isn't. That's why it's so very necessary for the Father's house and for us, it's very necessary the local assembly. Because that's, that's where we get our food. That's where we get our ministry. That's where God's plan is, right there in the local assembly. We don't have private agenda and private plans. We don't. Not for us as a church today. And the church, again, is the local assembly. So he had spent all he began to lack in Luke 15, verse 14. Then it says, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. That's like a... That's like a a Christian in a backslidden state, okay, and if you're going to live in the way you used to live prior to Christ, who are you going to get with? People that you're going to be comfortable with in those lusts that you desire now to live in. That's, a, that's what we do. If we're not going forward, what are we doing? We're going back. He joined himself to a citizen of that country, that far, what was that country? A, a distance, great distance from God. Great distance from God. <clears throat> and he sent him into his field to feed swine. Great friend, huh? Why? Because what did he have after he spent all? He probably spent it with that guy. And then when he didn't have anything left, what kind of friend was he? Hey, you know what? Go feed the swine swine. You know, Matthew 7, verse 6, it says, cast not your pearls before swine. And what that speaks of the swine, in this sense, is the flesh that's in the Christian that we're not of in Romans 8, 9. A swine. You know, we, we give this illustration through the years. <clears throat> you take the little piggy out of the pig pen. The little piggy, so cute. 
You wash all the dirt and mud off of it. You bring it in. You put a little robe. You put a jewel in its snout, and you put perfume on. You know, as soon as you're not looking and that door's open, guess where that little piggy goes? Right back to the pig pen. Returns right to it. Go feed the swine. You know what a pearl, a pearl there, that pearl that it talks about in Matthew 13th chapter and here in in Matthew 7 verse 6, that pearl that's of great price is Christ. How pearls are made, they're made in an oyster. And what happens is when the sand and irritation things and things that cause it pain, when it comes in, it forms this substance around it. And out comes a beautiful pearl. And that's a picture of the sufferings of Christ and what he went through. First, in propitiation for his father, but as to make himself a substitute for you and I so that we could thereby be reconciled. That's why God never needed to be propitiated. He needed to be reconciled. But to love us and to have it just and holy love, because that's the kind of love it is, that had to be met, and that's what Christ met. He sent them into the fields to feed his swine. And he would fain have filled his belly. He was so hungry. And that's what the enemy does with the Christian when they're living in the flesh. Reduce him down. You left. It's like you left a five-star restaurant. Now you're eating out of dumpsters and trash cans. Because you've got to put something there. And when you're far away from God, you've got to put something to fill that to fill that hole. He filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And look what it says here. And no man gave unto him. You know when it says no man gave unto him, there's no other name given unto heaven whereby men might be saved in Acts 4 verse 12. Now when it says saved, what it's talking about is your whole Christian life. It's a constant deliverance. Delivered once, yes, in terms of salvation, but it's a continual deliverance with the will being submitted. Oh, we don't experience what Christ in our position has done for us. <laughs> no man gave unto him. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, there's one mediator, one empire, one go-between, between God and men. Who is it? It's the man, Christ Jesus. And in Christ, we have a spiritual father. I've heard Mike say at times, Daddy. He's quoting, he's quoting Romans 8, verse 15, and Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. When we get in trouble, when we get far away, those that are his, when we come to the end of ourselves, we can't find a way out. There's no way out. We turn and we cry what? We cry, Daddy, Father, Daddy, Daddy. He left his father, the prodigal, and no man gave unto him because no one could. No one has done what God has done for us through his son. God so loved the whole mass of humanity that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish. And when we know the truth and function experientially, we don't perish even in our experience. You see, that's why sin doesn't ever touch our position. You're born into a family. How did you get there? 
Did it have your decision? No, God chose us. You're born into a family, naturally. And you may cause a lot of pain and hurt and sorrow in that family. You may live a certain way, but you're still that family. And once we're in Christ, once we're in him, he's not going to kick us out in John 6, 37 and 39. No one can tear us out of his hands in John 10, 28 and 29. That's positional truth. But how about the experience? What's our experience when our will's not submitted? What do we live in if it's not the truth about who we are in a proper image? We live in a lie. That somehow, now that I'm far away, and I know I'm far away, well, might as well fulfill my lust, because what else can I do? But it doesn't work. You can't have enough. You never will. It's insatiable. No man gave to him, verse 17. And when he came to himself, and the only way that he could come to himself was he was basing what he came to about how his father was towards him. He's starting to remember now. The lusts aren't being fulfilled. It's not working. Oh, now I remember. I'm starting to remember. It's not a full thought. It's not a complete right thought. But he's coming to himself. Why? Could it be that the father was out there every day waiting for him to come back? Could it be that he was praying? Could it be that when, when we come back to God, it's because Christ in Romans 8 verse 34 in Hebrews 7, verse 25. In Hebrews 9, verse 26. He's interceding for us. You know, sometimes we think we limit interceding when, when Christ begins to intercede for us, and that's his love and wisdom, literally. There's no, there's no anger. There's no wrath. It's just love. And sometimes we think the intercession is after we've sinned. You know, in God's through Christ and his anticipative love and his pervenient grace. So God obviously, since he knows all things in 1 John 3, 20, does he anticipate everything about us? That have to do with his plan with us before we were ever even born. And there's a path for us in Proverbs 4 and 18 and in Proverbs 3 and verses 5 and 6, there's a path and Christ walked that path in our stead and prepared that path for each one of us. When he, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my, of my father's house? They're under him. They don't live in the house. They live on the grounds, though. Have bread enough and to spare. They do. And I perish with hunger. And then he said, I will. See, his will's beginning to be involved, isn't it? He said, I will rise. I, I can't stay here. I can't stay here. I'll rise. I will rise and go. <laughs> I'm going to go back to my father's house. I'm going to have to humble myself. And humility, really, true humility, is not thinking too highly of ourselves. It's not thinking too lowly of, of ourselves. It's not thinking of ourselves at all. Now it's the Father in his love for us. He's coming back. I will arise and go to my Father, and now I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned. The confession was right. You know, he's, he's confessing. You know he's born again. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess us. And who are the we? Those that are in Christ in 1 John 1 through 8. And we confess our sin. 
And we're confessing the sin that Christ dealt with, but who we truly are in a proper image in Christ based upon him. He said, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And that was the confession was right. Here's what's wrong. And am no more worthy to be called your son. That's what was wrong. Because all his worth was based upon the Father and his thoughts and his love towards him. That's what the enemy does. When he, when he creates distance in us, we begin to form what we, he makes us look within, and like we put in, those, in that booklet, a must, entrance into the calling. If you want to be disappointed, look to others. Look to others what only God has done and can give you. Look to them, go ahead. If you want to be discouraged, look within. And he was very discouraged, but he's on his way back. He was discouraged. But if you want to be encouraged and built up, you look to Christ. And that's Hebrews 12 and verse 2, looking away from all that would distract now unto Jesus. Because he was your author and finisher of even your dependence. He was. I've sinned before heaven and before you, against heaven and before you, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Was this calling based upon who he was? Was this calling to be a, a son based upon what he did or what Christ had done? And he arose and came to his father. Now look at this. He didn't see the father. He did not see the father because there was still distance. But that, did that distance dim the view of the Father who was waiting for him. Watch what it says. But when he was yet a great way off, you know, if I come back, maybe, maybe God, you know, he's going to be so angry at me. Uh, maybe, oh God, I, you know, because look at what I did. Maybe he's going to be intensely angry with me. But I, I don't have anywhere to go. I spent everything. Nothing works for me. The lust and these passions of the flesh, they're insatiable. And when I spend them all, and even do it with friends and spend that on them, and when I don't have anything left, I end up feeding swine. That's why 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, evil, companion, evil companions corrupt good manners. It's not that in this world where we're going to find satisfaction. There isn't. That's why we even need to be careful when we go out from a local assembly. We need to be very, very careful. We need to know that God's doing it. He arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him. <laughs> What's that mean? That's Job 36, 7. God never removes his eye from the righteous. Never, ever. His father saw him. How did he see him? And how did the father see him? Did the father see him in the son's thoughts or did the father see him in his own loving thoughts? When he saw him, his father, his father saw him and had compassion and ran to him. God does the initiating. He ran to do away with that, that distance. The son had to get to the place of confessing. And as soon as he did that, even though it wasn't even fully right, 
of understanding, the father ran to him. We confess the father runs because we're confessing who he's made us to be in, in, in the greatest love that he had in his son. And that's how he sees us. He sees us just like he sees his son. You don't think the enemy wants you to hear that, do you? Experience it, know it, do everything he can to create the distance. It's very interesting. And that's why forgiveness in Christianity and with Christians and relationship to one another is so very, very vital. Because forgiveness here, and we're gonna, we see it here, is the Father, what is he doing with forgiveness? He's confirming that love towards his son constantly. And every time we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We experience, hey, I am forgiven. Hey, I am brand new. Hey, my, I'm not my sin. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm not my worst day. I'm not what someone did to me. I'm not the evil that they did to me or I did to myself or I did to others. I'm brand new. You did away with it, Lord. As soon as he saw him, he had compassion. Now, compassion. Here are three things that God wants us to, to understand this morning. We can function in sympathy. In sympathy, when I can sympathize with people. And in our, in our own sense, even with the best teaching we have, and great, we can understand things greater. But sometimes, we don't, when we don't understand how, how bad people can get or how they, they get themselves into these predicaments and this distance is created. We have sympathy for them and we begin to sympathize. And sympathy means I, I see what they're doing, but I can't understand it. And not only I can't understand, I can sympathize, but I, I don't understand it, God. And also with sympathy, if I can't understand it, I mean, I can't do a thing about it. That's sympathy. Then we can go through things and know what it's like. Ooh. Know what it's like to sin. Know what it's like to fail. Know what it's like to be rejected or to reject others, to be hurt. Know what it's like. And then we can, in that sense, empathize. That's empathy. And empathy, empathy means, I know what they're going through. I, feel, I felt it. I felt it. I can empathize with them, but I still can't do anything about it. But compassion is who Christ is. He not only felt, and we're going to see this on Friday, I can't wait. He not only felt everything that you and I felt because he took those sins on him. And he felt all of that in his perfect humanity. Remember, Christ never had a fallen human nature. He never had a sin nature. He had a human nature, but he felt it all. And he took it all on the cross. He had compassion. He not only felt everything that we went through, he did something about it. He's done it for us. He's finished the work in John 19.30. He fulfilled the will of the Father in John 4 and verse 34. He had compassion and ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. I can't tell you how many times God has kissed me when there was distance, when the enemy was having his way with me, when there were areas of ignorance and lack in childhood all the way up. 
And I don't know, I sit there and grace comes. I'm not even prepared for it. Grace comes. And he just starts kissing me. on. And the neck here speaks of the will. You'll see that in Proverbs, the first chapter, all the way to the third chapter. When he says, bind these, these, these truths around your neck. Submit. Bind them. And he comes and he just kisses. And he heals. And it's a constant healing. And that is even 1 John 1, 7. He's kissing us so that we walk in the light, our proper character as Christ is in the light. Because in 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we. <laughs> How is he right now? Is he so loved by the Father and so loving him in this exchange, in his humanity? So are we right now. He's loving us just like his son. Loves us that deeply. And he just comes in and he kisses I think it's Ezra 8.22, if it's not, it's Ezekiel. <laughs> the sacrifice that was being prepared was in minute detail. God's a God of detail and preciseness, like he is with teaching and preaching through the word. And everything else was apportioned in that sacrifice. But the one thing that you could pour as much as you wanted on that sacrifice was salt, which would speak of grace. Grace is unlimited. You see that in Romans 5 and verse 20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Not that he gives us grace in Romans 6, 1 and 15, and in Romans 3 and verse 8. Not that he gives grace that we can continue to live in sin, but it's the only way to get out of it, even experientially. Because we were saved by it in Ephesians 2, 8. We're kept by the power in 1 Peter 1, 5. And that power is Christ himself in 1 Corinthians 1. And 24, and we don't have any power unless our will submitted. He arose, he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. A kiss speaks of submission. And when you kiss, like when I kiss my wife, I like to kiss her because it's the right place to do it. When you kiss, a vacuum is formed, and no air, no distraction can come between. That's what he was doing. And there's a kiss. And in type, when it's talking about the crocodiles, and I understand that in Job 41 and verse 16, but it says that one is so near to another that no air can pass between them. And who's the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2 2? It's Satan. And oh, how he likes to come between us in the intensity and intimacy of his love for each of us. Oh, how he tries to come between. He can't touch the position. Sin can't. You can't sin your way out of your natural family. You were born there. But it can affect your experiential relationship with each other. But sin doesn't touch that. But it touches the experience. He fell on him and kissed him. Ah. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, oh, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth because all he speaks is I love you. Let him kiss me. You know, John and John 13, 23, you know, those sons, when we, take, we, we think about these fishermen. You know, in Mark 12, 37, it says the common people heard him gladly, just regular people. And that meant that there were even wealthy people and doctors and so forth. But they, were, they knew where their source was. 
he hung around these fishermen. And John, they were called the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and they were called the sons of Thunder. They had violent tempers. But oh, what a place that John would find. And we've said this before. He would lay his head on Jesus' breast in John 13, 23. He would lay his head and he would hear his heartbeat. And every heartbeat was, I love you. I love you. Your value is in me. I love you. He kissed him on his neck. And the son said unto the father, I have sent his confessions right against heaven and in your sight. And in Psalm 90, verse 8, even our secret sins are in the light of his countenance. You know, some of those things that we're so ashamed of, we wouldn't want any Christian. We don't care so much in one sense about worldly people because they do the same things that we're doing in the flesh. But another Christian, we don't want them to see him, yet we do them in the light of his countenance. In Psalm 90, verse 8, those little secret things. But he said, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. And this is what he said. This is the confession. First part was right. Second part is wrong. And I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Because where was he thinking his worth was coming from? Himself. Why? He left the father's house. He left where he should have constantly be fed and taught. So he left. And that was his thoughts now. He was forming his thoughts, not only about himself, but about his father. And that's what we do when we're far off. We start to form our thoughts about God based upon what we think our worth is now. I don't know, is Christ, after everything he's done for us, is he not worthy to make us his? To clean our feet in John 13, 1 through 10. To constantly clean our feet. That's our provision when we come to hear the word. If there's areas, and God only knows those, I don't know. (laughs) But God does, and he loves us, and he cleanses our feet so that we can continue to walk in a proper experience with a proper image and not a false one. I'm no more worthy to be called your son, but, in that word, I love that little word, but. In the Greek, it's a contrasting conjunction. Here's the contrast. Here's the son's thoughts. Here's the father's thoughts. That's the contrast. What, the, what does the conjunction do? Separates the two. That's what God has to do. In Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, sword, piercing even to the dividing what? Asunder of the soul, self-value, everything about self, from the spirit, who we are in Christ. There's got to be a separating, sanctifying process going on. But the Father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. The best robe. Bring it. Because I've had it. Even before he left the house, he wasn't ready to receive it yet. I had it all this, all this time to give to him. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says that we have these robes of righteousness. <laughs> That's Ephesians 4, 20 and 23. We put off the old experientially and put on Christ. We have these robes of righteousness. Father said unto him, to the servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. That's what we can do for each other, you know. When we forgive each other. 
And it's one thing for us to forgive all those things about ourselves. Oh, but when it comes to someone else, didn't Christ forgive them too? Something that we all have to learn, something that I have to learn, something that I am learning. He said, and put it on him. You know what that's a picture of? That's, in, that's Proverbs 10, verse 12. That's 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Love covers a multitude of sins. It covers until they can be dealt with. It is the glory of God in Proverbs 25 and verse 2 to conceal the things, but kings want to make it known. And it separates very friends in Proverbs 17 and verse 9. That's why we need to go, if there's issues in our life with other believers, we need to go to God first. First. No one should ever hear about it but God. Because after all, who did something about it? And who's the answer? We teach this constantly. And we constantly need to be refocused and renewed in Ephesians 4.23 with this reality of what covering and forgiveness means and God confirming his love. Put the best robe on him and put a ring on his hand and now put shoes on his feet put shoes on his feet, and bring forth the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son, notice that? My son. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We were bought with a price. We are not our own. And boy, when we think we are, that's where the trouble starts. There's where the lusts become active because the will's not submitted. And if we're not going forward, what are we doing? In thought, in thought first and then in plan. For this, my son, was dead. Separated. That's death. Death is never extinction, by the way. Someone's going to spend eternity somewhere because Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, whatsoever God does, he does forever. We're created in his image. How long does God last? We're created in his image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and then Genesis 5 and verse 2, created in his image. My son was dead, separated from me experientially, not positionally, but experientially, and is alive again. (laughs) He's experienced the life that as his father I gave him, and we've been given a life from the father through Jesus Christ. Is alive again. He was lost you see that where it says he was lost? That's 2 Corinthians 4, 3. Where it says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. I can't tell you how many times I preach that as a pastor teacher in terms of salvation, people being lost without God. Can a Christian be lost in their experience through the flesh, through legalistic teaching, through bad teaching, through no teaching? If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Positionally, as far as God's concerned, no. Experientially, yes. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. What? In whom the God of this world. In that one sense, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the only place that's ever said about Satan is in that context. He's the religious God of the world. That's the whole world system in Genesis, the fourth chapter. When you go out of the presence of God, you've got to have some kind of religion because God created you to worship. You're going to worship God or self, and we may think we're worshiping self, but who daddies the flesh? 
who does? For he was lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Can I know truths and still refuse them? Yeah, I know, but. <laughs> the buts. Yeah, I know, but. In whom the God of this world. You don't need that. You don't need them. You can be taught. You can have your private plans. I, you know, for the life of me, for the life of me, I don't understand. You know, he, look at, what do you mean that we're supposed to do everything in a local assembly? Where, where do you get that? And we do it together as one. So that if someone goes somewhere, it's, it's they're representing and they're representing Christ, but they're in their local assembly. You're not doing something privately. And, and some would say, well, I don't understand that. Well, let me, let me help you. In Hebrews 10, verse 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It's simple. Why do you think that God would give you some other, some other teaching? We shared the other day. I, I talked about a, a, a certain pastor who talked to a certain young man. And he's born again, but he had, and again, the, the principle is not that he had long hair, and he did. He did have long hair. But if I understand long hair and even what it means in the scriptures, in 1 Corinthians 11, you know, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Why? Because it's for a woman that speaks of recovering and submission in God's order. He said that. So when this particular individual, this pastor, brought it up to this young man, and said to him, what about cutting the hair? See, they, was the hair the issue or was it something inward? It was an inward issue that made this come out. And so we asked him. And some say, well, this, is that a big deal? I don't know. Is it a big deal? I don't know. God put it there. I don't know. <laughs> what? That's legalism? What? Legalism? I don't know. God said that. I didn't say it. This pastor didn't say it. And you know what that young man said? He said, well, God didn't tell me to cut it yet. And, and this individual looked at him and said, here, is God telling you this? It's a shame for a man to have long hair? Seriously. That's like people that tell me, no, I, got, I can't figure it out, but I'm going here, I'm going there, I'm going everywhere, I'm doing all. Yeah, really? Yeah, and I just really think it's God, really? I'm not saying he won't be faithful because he loves those people. But what I am saying is, if you have a question about that, I'll give you the Bible on it. And if the Bible says that, wouldn't that take care of any misunderstanding? Wouldn't that take care of it? <laughs> Would take care of it in a heartbeat. It's called fellowship. I can't tell you the things that people, even in this area, people here that I love deeply, they miss volumes. And they're okay with it. But God isn't, because he loves us. Because he called us to a certain place to function as a body. And you don't cut your little pinky off, a little pinky go run off and think you've got this separate call. It's, that's not the way that it works. And if you think it works otherwise, I promise you, the thinking is not correct scripturally. Now, I'm going to make that clear this morning. By the grace of God. So if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Blinded there, literally in the Greek, is hardened. You know how hard we get when we continually add sin unto sin in Isaiah 30, verse 1? Iniquity is the thought 
in Psalm 69, 27 and Romans 6, 19, they add iniquity unto iniquity. My will not submitted. Sin is what? Iniquity is what? My will, not yours. <laughs> and we get lost. Well, I can't figure it out, but I still feel like God's telling me to do this. Okay. I'm not telling you, he's not telling you to do it. But is it, are you going to bring them back? <laughs> is it God using you to do that? He was lost, as we close this morning in Luke 15 and verse 24. He's lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now the elder brother was in the field. What's he doing? He's working. Self-righteous works. He's trying to, to work up in himself, apart from his father's love, and make what he does for his father the means of the father accepting him. That's like legalism today. I want to, you know, there's plenty for us to do right here. We don't have, seriously, there's plenty for us to do right in this area. Plenty. Plenty. He's in the field, the elder son, and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. Good crap. What? And he called one of the servants and asked, what, what's going on? He said unto him, well, your brother has come and your father has killed a fatted calf, the best. What? Think he might have, you think he might have been trying to earn that? You think he might have been trying to earn the father's love? You think he wanted that fatted calf? Then the father kills it for the one who was lost, the younger one. Killed the fatted calf because he had received him safe and sound. Where's our only place of safety and soundness? in God's presence through the word and our will submitted because in his presence there's the fullness of joy and at his right hand there's pleasures forevermore in Psalm 16 11 and boy we need to set the Lord before our face in Psalm 16 verse 8 and we can't do it without proper counsel and teaching and by the way you don't choose when you're going to come and hear the word God does the choosing that's another another thing that I don't understand and do we all need shepherds? You tell me. Come on. What does a sheep function like without a shepherd? And there's an order to that too, by the way. We're all sheep. Even the shepherds, they're still sheep. They still need Christ. He received them safe and sound. And you know what? He was angry. Oh, how the Pharisees hated the grace of Christ. He hated them. He hated Christ because he gave people things they didn't deserve. They thought they could earn. This legalistic teaching and preaching. For years I've heard in James 4 verse 8 where it says, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you're double-minded. You know what legalism does with that? Turns the whole order. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Then draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Is that what happened here? No. No. See, like some believers, they got to come back to the house where they belong. Yes, I don't know. And he was angry, and he wouldn't go in. <laughs> I wouldn't, why? Because it's not about me. <laughs> yeah, and fellowship has to do with what? In 1 John 1, 1-3, the Greek word kinonia, 
What is fellowship? It's setting aside of private interests and desires and purposes and thoughts about self for the benefit of the whole. The whole what? The local assembly where you're called. That's where. How else are you going to function as the body? Is there one body? Yeah, but there's a specific manifestation and revelation of that in a specific area. That's why God calls us to certain local assemblies. He does the calling. He wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out and treated him. And he answering his father, he said, Look, you know, all these years I've done nothing but serve you. He's really angry. I've done nothing but serve you. That's Cain. Trying to earn his way, trying to earn love. Yeah, we can do that in a fallen, ruined, filthy, rotten state. None of us can. Matter of fact, he took us all from a pile in 1 Samuel 2 and verse 8. And it takes a while for us, for us to realize in our growth that everything we thought we were giving up in Philippians 3, 8 was nothing more than that pile. And the Bible in the King James calls it dung. What's the difference between what an animal gets rid of and what we do? He, he came out. And he said, the son said, I've done all these things and I've never transgressed. <laughs> it's like a person who said, you know, I never lied once. Well, you just lied. I've never lied one time. You just did. Because Jesus said, all men are liars in Psalm 116, 11. Let God be true and every man a liar in Romans 3, verse 4. <laughs> what do we do when we function in the flesh? What do we function under? The father of all what? Lies. Yeah, this will help you. This will, yeah, sure it will. Yep. At any time, your commandment, and yet you never gave me this, this cab, cap, you never gave me the best, that I may, might make merry with, with my friends. Yeah, what kind of friends did he have? Were they just as legalistic? Is he dressed up real nice? But as soon as this your son was come and has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, you're ever with me. And all that I have is yours. And it was meat. It was, it was meat. It was in my love and wisdom that we, together, you should enjoy this with me. Make merry and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Okay? And you know what that is? It won't forgive. We don't forgive each other. We harbor attitudes and anger towards people. For a long time. And it takes God a while to get it out. But he's faithful. He's faithful and he loves us. Thank God we have a place to come, to hear his counsel. All of us together, all of us together to hear it. And it doesn't matter with him. Because usually in Matthew 18, 20, it is the two or three that are gathered together in his name. Others got other things to do. Notice it says they're gathered together. Together. There am I. Do you think that if you're, you go somewhere and you shouldn't go, do you think God will still be faithful to those that you go to? Yeah. But thank God we have a place to go. Thank God for his love, his forgiveness, and his wisdom. Father, we do thank you and praise you. And we're so fortunate and so blessed. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.